We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, how's it going? Welcome into the Monday Mailbag. If you are watching this only on YouTube, you probably got it on Wednesday. Those of you that are on Patreon already, you saw this on Monday. So, hey, there's that. Uh, It's at certain tiers on our Patreon page. And also keep an eye out for our YouTube community membership channel perk stuff dropping pretty soon. I just got emojis and emoticons and loyalty badges and all that approved. Just got to set up the tiers. There will be three tiers. I'll talk about that more at the end, but you'll be able to contribute there. These questions are from people on Twitter, on YouTube, and on Patreon. Moving forward, these questions are only going to be from people in our YouTube community membership and our Patreon page. So if you'd like to get a question in and have it answered, join when the YouTube community membership thing drops, and I'll announce that. Then also you can just join us on Patreon, link in the description. And then if you want to get this video and all of our videos ahead of time, you can join us on Patreon or you can join us on the YouTube community membership page all the same. So we'll get that rolling in a bit for now. Let's get into our mailbag. About five or six of you sending questions. I won't have time to go through all of them. Um, So I just picked out some of the ones that are different. You know, some of you asked the same question. So I try to ask or try to answer different ones here. And this is not one topic, one video. So sorry, I can't spend 30 minutes on your particular question. But hopefully there's enough here where I do answer your question in some capacity. So Monday mailbag. Can Michael Davis bounce back in 2022? That's a question we'll get into later on. But up first on Twitter from Seamus O'Toole, who are your top three candidates to be the signature undrafted free agents that makes the roster? Now, we did do a video on this already. We did about an hour or so video on, or Alex even I did a video where we took four or five of the undrafted free agents. There's 14 total, although one of them's a kicker. And we broke them down and power ranked them sort of based on who we thought was least likely to most likely to make the roster. And we all came up with different, you know, we all had different players. So we all obviously had different rankings. You can check that out. So based on that and the conversations that, you know, we had and what the guys were telling me about the guys that they watch and based on the film study that I had and the guys that I watch, I think the most likely person or player position to make the roster, it's one of the running backs. I think it comes down to Letty Brown or Kevin Marks Jr. And the reason for that really is that the Chargers don't have to change their roster construction to fit one of these guys. Now, if they do change their roster construction from you know last year to this year, 
then yeah, they are maybe less likely and it's one of the other position groups that gets a bump in the number of players they have on the roster. Maybe they're more likely. But based on how they constructed it last year, they kept four running backs, whereas other positions like wide receiver or edge, they would have to make an additional spot appear this year. Is that possible? Absolutely. But I'm just looking at what they did last year and how they constructed their roster. It's more likely one of the running backs is going to make it just because there's a good shot they can win one of the RB4 spots, whether that's over Kelly, whether that's over Roundtree, maybe over both. I don't know. But there's definitely a better shot there, whereas some of the other guys I'll mention later on, they need some help just in roster construction to even make the roster. So to me, it does come down to Lady Brown or Kevin Marks Jr., the only true running backs that are there. Letty Brown does lead Kevin Marks Jr. in yards after contact average, missed tackles forced, breakaway rate, and yards per route run. Kevin Marks Jr. does lead him, though, in fumbles in a good way and pass blocking efficiency. So I haven't watched Kevin Marks Jr., so it's tough for me to say who's better on film. Uh, Steven believes that Kevin Marks Jr. does fit the room a little bit better. I personally do think having watched Lady Brown, that his skill set is a bit redundant with what they have. Not that it's he's bad by any means, but if Kevin Marks Jr. is more of your scat back type, and I don't really know this, but based on what Steven was telling me and telling us in that video, it sounds like he's a better fit to make the roster over someone like Letty Brown, who may even just be a better running back, but he's a redundant fit, if that makes sense. And it is worth noting, as I already said, Kevin Marks Jr., you know, two fumbles in 2021, which isn't great. Um, Lady Brown, five of them, although Lady Brown did have twice as many carries, but still five fumbles from Lady Brown and a pass blocking efficiency of 95.5. I believe he allowed two sacks on the year. So if you fumble five times, you allow two sacks. Very, very tough to make the roster. Kevin Marks Jr., not a whole lot better, but it sounds like from what Steven said on film, he's a good pass protector. And that shows here with a 98.1 pass blocking efficiency. And also just a good run blocker. They run a lot of two back sets. Sometimes he would lead for Jared Patterson or the other running back. So that is notable. So if you, if you, I do think Lady Brown looks at least on paper, like the better running back and even his profile, it's a more intriguing physical profile, height, explosion, whatnot. The only thing Marks really has over him, which is significant is that 40 yard dash, but it's a four, six versus a four, six, four. That's kind of you know nitpicking at that point although there is a big difference in percentile but still four six versus four six four letty brown i believe leads him in most everything else uh, or except vertical and to me if the numbers are better and the physical profile is better then i would lean towards letty brown but having watched him i feel it's redundant i guess i have to watch kevin marks to figure out if he's really a unique enough skill set enough to fit there so i do think one of these running backs ends up making it and historically, you see guys like Brandon Oliver, Austin Eckler, Dietrez Newsom. I'm sure there's more running backs that have made the initial 53-man roster at running back. I think there has to be four or five in Telesco's tenure, whereas a wide receiver is maybe one here or a linebacker there. Running back seems to be very consistent in making the roster for this team. And it's possible it happens again. Again, they can carry if they carry four running backs like they did last year, one of these guys can definitely beat out Kelly or Roundtree for that fourth spot. Some people say that third spot, personally, I think the three spots are locked up into their draft picks. I think it's obviously Eckler, Spiller, and then one of Roundtree or Kelly. 
And then that fourth spot is up for grabs. I think the first three spots are going to go to people that they drafted, but that's just up to me. Not saying it's just because they drafted him, but it's kind of a part of that equation as well. But yeah, it, it does come down to roster construction. So I took, so each of us took a, a number one guy. I took Ty Shelby, the edge from Louisiana, Monroe. Alex took wide receiver Trevon Bradford. Steven took Kevin Marks Jr. Um, Steven did not have Lady Brown to watch. That was me. So I don't know, you know, maybe he would have watched Lady Brown and had him over Kevin Marks Jr., but he didn't. So he had Kevin Marks Jr. making it. So to me, Ty Shelby, like personally, me, I do think Ty Shelby should be the one that makes the roster. You don't need a fourth running back. You don't really need a fifth edge rusher either, but I would love to see the Chargers start developing more guys. And as everybody knows, they could kick Emeka Egbole off the roster as fast as they possibly can. Uh, again, if you know, you know, if you don't, all good. Ty Shelby making it would be great because of the linebackers, or excuse me, the edge rushers that they have, Bosa can reduce inside, but Chris Rumpf can't, or at least he didn't last year, and I don't think he will be. Kyle Van Noy with the Patriots did not do that last year. If he reduced inside, it was as an inside linebacker, not as a you know four-point stance rusher by any means. And then Khalil Mack, I suppose he could, but when you want that rotation, you know the guys behind them like Emeka Igbule, you want guys who can put their hand in the dirt maybe. Ty Shelby can do that, and he also have, would have... If he makes the team, he would have the longest arms on the team, which, we, as we know, if you look at Otito Ogbonia, even Jerry Tillery, arm length is a big deal for Brandon Staley. So if I had to do a top three, to me, it's one of the running backs or Ty Shelby. But I do like other guys. I like Kroman Huck, the tight end from USC. If they just had to keep four tight ends at a fullback, then he definitely has a shot as an H-back type. All right, next one comes to us from Andrew Romano from Patreon, who says, I saw someone say that they loved all the player acquisitions and draft, but still have doubts about Brandon Staley's coaching. I love Staley and his coaching staff, but what do you think about that? Yeah, it, it was a definitely a journey last year for Chargers fans. I remember, you know, we look at what happened in the draft last year. And they're waiting on safety and we think, oh, you know, maybe he believes he can get the most out of his day three guys. You know, they waited so to get Mark Webb. That was the first safety that they took when they knew they needed safety depth. But we figured, okay, you know, Brandon Staley has a history of developing undrafted free agent, day three talent guys. So maybe Mark Webb, you know, we're all good here. And I think when you have a coach like this with such a distinct plan, you trust them a little bit more because you feel like you know what they're doing because A, you can sort of see the plan that they have, but also the way Brandon Staley talks, you have to trust him because he just makes you feel good about these decisions. He sees the good in all the players and he makes us feel like, hey, you know what? Maybe that was a smart move. I didn't expect it, but you know what? I trust this coach. And then training camp happened, and there was a big divide. Uh, I went ahead and said that after after uh, Brandon Staley said, Tillery had a phenomenal camp. I said, no, uh, Tillery has not had a phenomenal camp. And I could share plenty of tweets back at me like, well, maybe I'll just trust the defensive genius over here, the, the guru, the actual coach, who are you, yada, yada. I'm not saying I know more than Brandon Staley. I don't. All I know is actually sitting there and objectively watching training camp and being there for most of the days and gathering all the stats across all of Daniel Popper's articles. Jerry Tillery did not have a phenomenal training camp. He did not. And how'd that look on the field? You know? So again, it, it was a bit of a you know, up and down because that was kind of the height. Everything's working. Training camp looks great. Mark Webb looks good. 
And then they, they start what four and one, five and one, or whatever it was, four and one to start the year. And everyone's pumped. Look at Staley, look at this coach. The plan's amazing. The plan's amazing. No one talked about Joe Lombardi. <laughs> no one talked about the fourth down decisions, right? Then things went poor, poorly after the after the bye week. And then things started to really change for the fans. And by the time we got to certain games, like let's say the Raiders game to the end of the year, people were really questioning Brandon Staley whether that came down to Kenneth Murray playing significantly more snaps over Kaiser White or the decision to go for it on fourth down where they ran it to the left side up the middle and they didn't get it and the Raiders kick a field goal, all that sorts of stuff, you know, started to weigh more on Chargers fans. And we went from the honeymoon phase to, you know, a very split fan base on Brandon Staley because things started off so well. And again, you listen to him speak and you believe everything he says, but then on the field, they ended up going nine and eight. And that's not all on him by any means. There's a lot of reasons they went nine and eight, not just Brandon Staley, but I know fans were getting frustrated. So, you know, Romano's asking here, Andrew Romano's asking, you know, some people still have doubts about him. You know, what do you think about this? And to me, it really comes down to one specific thing. The coaching, we'll see. I think part of what I'm going to say here will lean into the coaching on the field stuff. But the, the my biggest concern with the Staley regime, I won't even just say Brandon Staley, are, it's the personnel decisions because Jerry Tillery's out there playing about 74% of the snaps, uh, even though he uh, on the entire year for the team, even though he missed a game due to COVID. That's still the fourth highest percent of snaps ahead of guys like Joey Bosa, Chen, and Mosu, which I get it. Those guys also, you know, miss time or didn't play or rotate. But Jerry Tillery being, you know, your number one frontline guy, getting the most snaps there is not great because I mean I think we're all on the same page at this point where we know that he's not a good three down player maybe a pass rusher maybe a rotational pass rusher sure but a run defender no and they went from putting Jerry Tillery out there more than anybody else on the front line and only behind the two safeties and Kaiser White on the entire defense they went from that to not even picking up his fifth year option so we all knew something was off but he was still out there and I get that they didn't have the greatest depth and some guys like Justin Jones were hurt, but there's no reason to not at least try out Fahoko more on, on first down or shoot even Joe Gaziano or something else. They just couldn't get him off the field. And, you know, you can... The, the other big divide between Chargers fans, I think, are people that believe in the, you know, the conspiracy or whatever that the ownership is forcing decisions and, you know, Telesco is forcing first-rounders to play. And I think there is definitely some of that in sports. And I think there's some of that with the Chargers, certainly more in the past. I don't believe that's as much now. But still, these decisions, this defense, everything that happened on defense, at least, I think, and I, I believe based on what we've seen, what we know, what I know, Brandon Staley was the guy calling the shots on defense. If you don't like something that's happening on offense, then maybe that's a Joe Lombardi thing. But if you don't like what's happening on defense, that's all Brandon Staley, whether that's calls or personnel decisions, that's him. And people are split on that because they don't want to admit, you know, again, honeymoon stage, people didn't want to admit that maybe he wasn't making the right decisions. But listen, this is his defense. We've seen that with the acquisitions even this year. You tell me now that Brandon Staley's not in full control of at least the defense, right? Come on, this is definitely his defense. So Jerry Tillery playing that many snaps, ridiculous. Kenneth Murray, the way they moved him around was 
disturbing, I guess. It was both confusing and disturbing because they made him a, a starter, which is fine. But then he was a not starter, which I guess is also fine. But then they moved him to edge and that didn't work. And they didn't prepare him for edge at all. I, I can't. I didn't see him in training camp doing that. I don't believe in the preseason or at the scrimmage he was playing edge. Suddenly they're saying, hey, oh, he's our edge. And then he doesn't do well there and guys get healthy. And suddenly, oh, wait, no, he's not our edge. Yep, no, he's uh, he's our inside linebacker. But then he's not a starter inside linebacker. Oh, but now he's our dying linebacker over Kaiser White. It was just really unfair what they did to him there. So both putting him on the field too much, you know, like that last game, we knowing full well that Kaiser White was a better linebacker. And then just overall what they did with him, moving him around, trying to make, you know, a square peg going around hole. It just wasn't working. And then finally, special teams. This isn't really under his control, but that's kind of the point. Brandon Staley allowed, I think, Darius Swinton to make decisions, roster decisions that affected not just the special teams, but the entire roster. You know, it was probably it probably should have been Tyron Johnson and Austin Prohl making the roster, or at least one of those guys as a returner or as a receiver or whatever. As it turns out, KJ Hill makes the roster. And again, people say, oh, well, you know, Telesco's forcing his seventh round draft pick on the team or whatever. Whatever. People can believe what they want. But to me, it just came down to poor, very poor personnel decisions from Swinton. And I think Staley let Swinton make those calls on the back end of the roster and it hurt the team. Now, I do think Ficken is going to have that same control this year. But the difference is Swinton was not a special teams coordinator, if I'm not mistaken. He was always an assistant. And even if he, he were a special teams coordinator at any point, certainly not with these, as many years as Ryan Ficken has had. So I trust Ficken to make these decisions more because he has a very true proven track record. Swinton, again, if you watch the first two weeks of training camp, who were the most targeted players? Austin Pearl, Tyron Johnson. And both were cut in favor of KJ Hill who maybe could have been a good receiver for them, but for his spot being primarily special teams, it was a disaster. And then they had Larry Roundtree at one point returning kicks, and that wasn't very good. And look where we are now. Darius Swinton was off the team. You know, They let him go pretty quick. And it was just a problem on special teams very early on in the season. And I don't believe it cost them games early on, especially because they went four and one, but it was costing them you know, points, field position, all that sort of stuff. And I, I just think Brandon Staley needs to have a better handle on these decisions because I don't think it's fair to even the offense. Again, Joe Lombardi dialing up deep shots to Tyron Johnson, getting Austin Prohl involved in yards after the catch, you know, plays, gadget stuff. And then both were just cut, you know. <laughs> that's not fair to Herbert. That's not fair to Joe Lombardi. So I think those guys being cut was a problem for the offense. It's something that they sort of had to figure out during the year. They couldn't. We all wanted them to take a receiver for these reasons. Here we are. So I think Brandon Staley having better control over the active roster on special teams would be great. That would show me that a lot of changes. And then I just want to see some of these personal decisions that he's made pan out. You know, Eric Banks, Chris Harris, Kyler Frackle, Devonta Harris, Isang Basie, Trey Marshall. I'm not saying these are all standout star players by any means, but I'd like to see those decisions now it's Khalil Mack and JC Jackson I like to see them pan out more than you know before because these guys that he brought in or kept that Staley specifically wanted 
across the board, all of them failed to live up to expectations. Some of them, well, except maybe Eric Banks, who some of us had no expectations for, and he basically just did that. He did nothing. But, you know, hey, Cortez Brown, who needs him? Uh, the reasons to believe in him, though, on the flip side of the personnel decisions is he does now finally basically have his entire roster. Not everyone is off the team. I'm sure, you know, Alohi Gilman or Josh Kelly, those guys might be off the team at some point, maybe as early as this year. But he's mostly there with his own team now. J.C. Jackson, Sebastian Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, Gerald Everett. I guess we're taking, talking more defense here. But Kyle Van Noy, Bryce Callahan, all these guys, Troy Reader. It's really his image. or he's, It's built in the image, not his image. <laughs> it's built in the image that he wants. And certainly based on guys that fit his scheme, that he knows, all that. So moving forward with the free agents, with the two draft classes, I think we're starting to finally see Brandon Staley's roster. And I think we'll just see better results from that. And then finally, he can just play his preferred brand of defense. Now, I do, if you're listening to this on the audio platform, I have this year um, as charts. I'll try to talk through it, but you can also, I think I did a different video for this as well. But with the Rams, Brandon Staley was very balanced. So the bluish bars, like blue-gray bars, indicate what the Rams ran. The black bars indicate the league average. And the Rams were very balanced in 2020 under Brandon Staley. They ran the three most uh, personnel usage coverages, I guess. They ran the, the groupings that they ran, where 236, 245, and 335, they were trying to go with five or six DBs on the field at all times. And that's circled in the red box here or boxed in the red box here. Whereas you look at the 344, that base 34, they ran it far less than the league average because Brandon Staley doesn't want his linebackers on the field, at least not the inside linebackers. But he looked at the Chargers and things are skewed heavily towards a 245, right? And, and things aren't exactly, you know, balanced here. He had to really lean into that 245 because DBs were hurt. They had a bunch of linebackers and they had to put those linebackers on the field. He didn't want to do that. And, you know, the 3-4, the base 3-4 was, what, uh, 90 times? They ran about 90 times with the Rams, with the Chargers. You know, was that, 250 or so times? 2-4-5, over 500 times. And, and you look at these groupings, there's no, you look at the Rams grouping, the 2-3-6 grouping does make it into one of their top three usages for the Rams. For the Chargers, there's no, there's no six DBs there's no six DB groupings that make it into that top three, top four over here, but far less. You know, the, the, the Rams ran a three, four, four or two, four, five, about 385 times. And both of those were below the league average. The Chargers, 750. And both of those were above the league average. So now you have JC Jackson, Bryce Callahan, JT Woods, a healthy Mark Webb, Jesse or Taylor, you know, all that. It changes everything for Brandon Staley, I would think. They can now get back to what they wanted to do more, which is run a lot of that 2-3-6, that 3-3-5, try to get an inside linebacker off the field, switch it out for a DB, and play that lighter box. All right, the next question is from Bill Breland, who asks, how do you feel about Mike Davis this season after struggling last season being CB1? Do you think we see more of the 2020 versions since he'll be more CB2-3, or do you think he's just not a great fit for Staley's schemes? He's clearly a cut candidate if he doesn't play great this season. And yes, Michael Davis is a cut candidate uh, after this year. The Chargers can save $7.4 million if they cut him with a $2 million cap hit. 
or excuse me, dead money cap hit. His cap number overall is 9.4 million. So not bad, not bad at all. And listen, if Asante Samuel Jr. gets hurt, you know, pretty significantly or suffers another concussion, there's a world where Michael Davis has to be on the roster because Asante Samuel Jr.'s entire future could be in jeopardy. And I don't really like if they restructure in some way, I don't hate his cap hit being under 10 million. He's not a bad defensive back by any means. And a guy who does know the system, who does have a lot of talent, who has shown he could be a good CB2 slash CB3, definitely a CB3. That's worth a lot, in my opinion. Now, the thing about Michael Davis, I think that we don't talk about much is the Ron Miles effect. I think from an undrafted free agent to 2020, you saw Michael Davis improve kind of year to year to year. Not that he's perfect by any means, but there was a point where he's shutting down Stefan Diggs. And that's under Ron Milas. Ron Milas leaves. And of course, there's also a scheme change. And things drop off for Michael Davis for most of the year. And I'm wondering how much Ron Milas really played an impact, how much he impacted what Michael Davis did on the field. Anyway, so the thing about Michael Davis is I, I do still think he can be a very good CB2. JC Jackson is obviously the CB1. I think, I, I guess you could say Asante Samuel Jr. and Michael Davis are battling it out. I do think Samuel Jr. ends up really with that starting job. And I, that seems to be the way it's going anyway. But Michael Davis can still be a very good CB2. When he's on the field as your CB2, I think he's very solid. And I don't think we remember what happened the entire year last year. I think we just remember the last two-thirds, maybe the last half of the year, where things weren't so great. But we don't remember how good he was to start the year. Weeks one through five, he allowed a 58% completion rate only 33.6 yards per game. And he even played 51 box snaps. So he was moving, covering tight ends. I believe he had one pass rush rep, if I'm not mistaken. Like he was moving around and being a real, real chess piece for Brandon Staley's defense. And in coverage versus Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller, he had he was targeted six times and only allowed three receptions for 40 yards. And I believe those 40 yards were against Travis Kelsey, zero yards allowed against Darren Waller. Everybody took turns covering Darren Waller he was, I don't think he was targeted at all. No, he had one target, but zero receptions covering Darren Waller. That's pretty darn good. There's not a lot of guys, there's not a lot of CB1s who could do that, let alone Michael Davis as your CB2. Then things really went downhill. For whatever reason, in week six, he was benched for Devon Campbell mid-game, which I think at the time we thought Devon Campbell earned more snaps, but not at the expense of benching Michael Davis, who just paid you know $10 million a year to. But he was benched in the middle of that Ravens game. At the time, Davis only allowed one catch for four yards and he had four tackles with one miss on the game so i don't really know what happened there uh, but he was benched then they had the bye week came out of the bye he was the starter then he had a hamstring injury and that really changed everything because he got hurt i think he tried to come back and things just weren't the same weeks 11 through 15 he went you know went from 33.6 to start the year and i think one touchdown allowed through those five weeks to 50.2 yards per game allowed and four touchdowns allowed over that span and probably should have been five if Jamar Chase didn't <laughs> throw the ball backwards into Michael Davis's lap. So much worse after that hamstring injury and then COVID hit and then week 17 or week 18 or whatever. Yeah, week 17 and 18, not great either. So you go from a guy who was in about 50% of his you know, passes his way were being completed, 33.6 yards per, per game, playing all over for the defense uh, only allowing 40 yards covering Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller. Then suddenly he's benched, hamstring injury, COVID, everything goes downhill. Nothing is great. So to me, I, I do still think he can be a very good CB. 
It's just going to take his health and maybe just being a CB2 or three will be better for him rather than that responsibility of having to be the guy every week now that is JC Jackson. Next question comes in with me from Keith from YouTube. And he says, do you think our offense will perform better than last year, stay stagnant or fall off? To me, let's look at this two different ways. I want to look at where they've improved just on paper on offense and then what the real problem was for the offense last year. So I do think DeAndre Carter, as it is, is an improvement over Andre Roberts. Part of that was just Roberts' usage, but I also think Carter is more that true, true receiver, gadget guy. Roberts just seemed to not be involved in any way, could not find a way to be involved in the passing game at all. Carter last year had 385 total yards and three touchdowns. Roberts had 54 yards and zero touchdowns, and I believe 24, 25 of those yards were with a different team. So not great. Carter was definitely more involved for the Washington football team then, now commanders. And I think he'll be more involved with this offense this year. And then you just have Gerald Everett. Gerald Everett being better than Jared Cook in yards after the catch per reception, missed um, middle of the field reception rate and drop rate will be huge. You know, Jared Cook, the difference between Cook and Everett and middle of the field reception rate and drop rate was very significant. I think Everett was two or three times better than cook i think it was like a maybe or maybe not i think it was like a 40 percent difference still very significant gerald everett much more share hands over the middle justin herbert had a hard time attacking the middle now you do have a guy who's younger with better hands better after the catch to work over the middle of the field i think that's gonna be huge for justin herbert and then finally you know ode bushi was great but he was hurt zion johnson is going to be a significant upgrade over michael schofield and then i have a right tackle and question mark here because uh, you know maybe it's fixed Maybe it's not, to be completely honest, I don't think it can get worse than last year. So that's good. Uh, how much better it'll get, I don't know. <laughs> um, but the most important thing, which I know people are frustrated with the offense, but they were fifth in points per game, fifth in red zone touchdown percentage, second in points per drive, and second in drive success rate. They were awesome. The problems with the offense is they still couldn't score enough. Because the average, I mean, the average offensive scoring margin for their games, even though they were fifth in points per game, fifth in red zone touchdown percentage, second in points per drive, second in drive success rate, their average offensive scoring margin was plus 0.9, which is 16th, right in the middle of the league. You have an offense that's basically top three in the NFL, and they went 9-8. and eight. <laughs> And the offensive scoring margin was 0.9, despite the fact that they're one of the best offenses in the league. That's because they had the sixth fewest drives in the NFL last year, and they were 18th in defensive takeaways. But now you bring on guys who can take the football away. You have JC Jackson with a 50, 50 combined interceptions and passes broken up in four seasons. Khalil Mack had a career high six forced fumbles under Brandon Staley. He's now on the team. Joey Bosa just last year had a huge bump in career forced fumbles, or he had a career high in forced fumbles, that is, with another six under Brandon Staley. JT Woods led football, or college football last year in interceptions with six. And then Kyle Van Noy as your third edge rusher has seven forced fumbles the last three seasons. He's going to, or the, all these additions or these players on defense that they've added or developed or whatever, they're going to give the ball back to Justin Herbert more. Again, top three offense, one of the top three most efficient offenses in the league, including the run game, but still sixth fewest drives in the NFL. 18th in defensive takeaways. You bump those numbers up, this is a top offense in the league. 
like what and that was last year's offense without Carter with a worse offensive line with Jared Cook. Now they add some guys. They have a better line. It's second year, you know, the, the first time Herbert's had a, you know, a second year in the same offense since high school, if I'm not mistaken. You add these defensive guys who take the ball away, give the ball back to Justin Herbert, and the offense is just going to be better because they'll have more attempts. You know, they'll average, I don't know, 0.5 points per game more or whatever, one more point per game. And that's going to bump them up from fifth to third or whatever it is. Because, again, second in points per drive, second in drive success rate, but got to give him more drives, got to give Justin Herbert more opportunities. Last question here comes to us from Solo, who asks, do you think that JT Woods will develop quicker than Nasir Adderley? So I went back and looked at their stats. I did not watch Nasir Adderley back when he played in 2018 at Delaware, but I did want to look back and look at his stats. And across the board, now again, one of them is playing at Delaware, one of them is playing at Baylor, different roles, different responsibilities, I'm sure. But Nasir Adderley was ahead of JT Woods in every category. Yards per reception, snaps per reception, missed tackle rate, forcing completion rate, stop rate, average depth of tackle. I was really curious about the stop rate and average depth of tackle because JT Woods, triggering downhill as he does, I thought would have the better average depth of tackle. I thought that he would have maybe a higher run stop rate. But it turns out Adderley was better. But then again, you know, one is Delaware. One is Baylor, FCS, FBS. So, but I don't still, I really did have more stats or better stats, excuse me. So the reason I think JT Woods does develop faster is because Nasir Adderley, if we're just talking about years and games, Nasir Adderley only played four games with zero starts in 2019 because he was injured in and out of the lineup. Rachel Jenkins was there and obviously German James was there. Um, I think that was the Jalen Watkins year. Um, and they didn't really use Nasir Adderley. He was hurt. Only played four games with zero starts. So that was almost a, a redshirt year. And then 2020 starts to develop in that Gus Bradley scheme. They dump Gus Bradley. And now they have Brandon Staley. So they have to switch things up. Goes from that single high to a split coverage. And Adderley now has to switch from that cover three to cover two. And things are different. He has to learn that again. And he looks great. I think he looked, or not great. I think he looked really solid. And I think he's going to be a really good player for the Chargers this year. Maybe even a great player. There's so many flashes of excellence. But, you know, JT, you're asking me who's developing faster. JT Woods is a clean slate. And he has a lot of the characteristics that Brandon Staley wants. He's very athletic. He's very smart on the field. He's also, what, the five-time honor roll guy. So I, I do think that JT Woods will develop faster. And I think he's going to be their starter in 2023. I think Nasir Adderley is going to walk. I think JT Woods is going to start. And I think JT Woods, just based on how I how, what I think of him, his college film versus Nasir Adderley early in the league, JT Woods is a better, I know this is crazy, but he's a better tackler, I think, an attacker of the football near the line of scrimmage than Nasir Adderley. Yes, I know about the missed soccer rate of JT Woods. I pointed that out on the last page. But I do think JT Woods, understands how to work downhill and attack the run game as a deep safety better than this year Adderley can or did at least his first couple of seasons. Adderley's there now. I think JT Woods was already there the moment he stepped into the league. But again, we're talking about college production. Things change once you go to the NFL. Things are faster. Things are different. Maybe JT Woods will slow down, but we'll see. All right, last thing I want to talk about are channel memberships. Yes, we do have channel memberships. Uh, we're just trying to get that solidified at the very end here, we had to submit it to YouTube for review. 
that'll be up soon. But for our channel memberships, we will have uh, access to our Discord. And yes, that Discord is already up and running. Patreon, if you're on Patreon, you already have it. If not, then it'll be up on our YouTube channel memberships pretty soon. And also, you can just go to our Patreon, which is in the link in the description. Um, early video access, loyalty badges, special membership emojis. We'll have members-only chats, shout-outs. Steven will do an OnlyFans. I'm kidding. Uh, private streams, uh, the Monday mailbag question submissions, and the early videos and all that. That will be there. So you guys will be able to get a whole lot of early stuff, new stuff, exclusive stuff. Uh, some of it's specific to YouTube, obviously, the loyalty badges and the emojis and whatnot, which I have. Not me, but if, you know outsourced and created those will be there for you guys all that sort of stuff so that should be fun uh the discord is particularly interesting because it's just the guiltiest charge team so you'll be able to chat with with kyle with me with steven maddie alex and you know we'll get an arjun sorry sorry arjun arjun's also on there um we each, each will probably have our own separate threads i know arjun right now is a very special you know only him thread where he posts graphs for everybody to talk about stuff that he's working on so you can check check that out really early we do have a source info um, section on there so if you want to know who they were considering at 79 with jt woods which makes sense given who they ended up taking post draft in free agency uh, you can check that out there some stuff on the interior defensive line again we there's not a whole lot going on right now <laughs> the free agency and the draft already happened but as we figure out stuff we'll let you know in that portion of the uh, discord so should be fun. All right. Thank you guys for submitting in your questions. The next time you see this, it will be membership only questions. So Patreon or YouTube community memberships only questions. And it'll be early for those that are members. And then later, maybe like Wednesday for those of you that are not members. All right, guys, take care. Enjoy the rest of your week. And as always, bolt up.